Thanks, Nath. If you do have a Bible, uh, you might like to have it open at 2 Peter. Um, and we're just looking uh, at those first four verses uh, this afternoon. Uh, in our family at the moment, we're attempting uh, to get into the NRL, uh, the, uh, the rugby league. Um, Jack, our eldest, he's a supporter of the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, Clancy, uh, he's uh, a Redcliffe Dolphins fan. Daisy hasn't really made up her mind just yet, I don't think. Our three-year-old Fred, he woke up the other morning, he stood up in his bed. Uh, First thing in the morning, I was in there to wake him up or something, I think. And he said, first words out of his mouth, he said, Dad, you really should go for the Broncos. (laughs) Well, what is that? First thing in the morning, what's he doing thinking... Thinking like that, it's not good, is it? I, I, I ca- cannot seem to convince uh, our children uh, to join Jen and I in supporting the mighty Parramatta Eels. Uh, I, I even offered to buy them a jersey each. If you go for Para, I'll get you a jersey. No, well, Daisy was thinking about it, and then she realised Parramatta's in New South Wales. She wouldn't have a bar of it. Uh, she's a Queenslander through and through. Anyway, during an NRL match and speaking about one of the new sort of young players, a commentator said something like this. He said, when he, this young player, when he realises how good he is, then he'll really progress. An amazing young player will hit his straps, so to speak, when he knows what he's got when he understands something of the, the talent that is at his disposal. And that can be the way for the, the talented uh, young athlete. Maybe, maybe he or she reaches first grade and thinks, oh, I'm not up to this. That can be the way with the talented player. But it can also be a bit like that in the Christian life. Uh, from that very first day when someone... Uh, trusts and follows Jesus, God, he, he calls us to, to live for him. Uh, the, the Bible says that living God's way is actually what's best for us. It's for God's glory, but living God's way is not always easy. Uh, if you are someone who trusts in Jesus here this afternoon, there might be something that you know that God wants you to do. Some sin that you need to stop ignoring and actually get, uh, get to work on with God's help. Or some hard decision you have to make that you know will, will honour him. But you think, well, I don't have the strength. I don't have the courage. It's too much. I'm, it's too hard. I'm scared. I'm not up to this. And if you then add to the fact that uh, you live, we live in this culture, this, this world that says, well, do what's best for you. Do what suits you. Life revolves around you. You're the authority uh, and you're mad to trust and follow Jesus. And if that's not enough difficulty, perhaps you then add the challenging situation that the Apostle Peter is writing to in this second letter where there's teaching within the church, false teaching that discourages believers from living God's way as well. Maybe there's some kind of false teaching that makes it hard for you to trust the promises of God. It could be, you know, present day false teaching. It may be something from years back. 
Uh, and as it comes up in the letter, we'll talk more about this false teaching. But, but the context, just broadly, the context of 2 Peter, the false teaching, it was a denial, it would seem, of Jesus' second coming. Jesus isn't coming back. And if you play that out, well, therefore, there's no judgment day. And therefore, there's no boundaries. Do whatever you like. With people within the church saying that, it would make it very difficult trusting God's word. And there would be great difficulty in living for Jesus above all else. So let's just say I don't feel as though I can live God's way. You know, it's too hard. I mean, some things I find easy, but others are so hard, too hard, too scary. And the world says you're mad if you try. And even from within the church, there's voices saying, don't bother. He's not coming back. Well, that's something of the context of Peter's original reader. And it's not too dissimilar from our context today. So just as the talented football player needs to know what he's got so he or she can grow and progress, hit their straps, so we as followers of Jesus need to know what we have, who we have, so that we might hit our straps, so to speak, and get on with growing to be more and more like Christ. And I reckon this is exactly why Peter begins this letter the way that he does. Uh, who's writing the letter? Jen helpfully reminded us. You, you look from the start of verse 1, it's Simon who was that fisherman, Simon who Jesus called, come follow me, and gave him that name, Peter, Rocky. On this rock I'll build my church, said Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 18. And, and it was on the authority of the apostles' teaching on this rock, those first eyewitnesses, Peter, as well as the others, that Jesus built his church. And it's on the authority of their teaching that he does the same today. Our writer is Peter, the great pastor. Feed my sheep, <laughs> said Jesus. Peter, the apostle of, of Jesus Christ, apostle, you may know, can also be translated as messenger. But not only does he write this letter with the authority of an apostle, he's also, what does he say before apostle? Look in your Bible, verse 1, servant, more literally slave. Later in chapter 2 of this book, Peter says that people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. It's interesting to think about, isn't it? Uh, what, what has mastered you? What has mastered me? The, the word conveys us a sense of ownership. Peter has been mastered by Christ. He belongs to Jesus. He's been commissioned and, and sent by Jesus. And we know from chapter 1, verse 14, that as he writes this letter, he's expecting to die soon. So it functions like his last words, written sometime before he was killed, which was 64, 65 AD, something there. 
So how does Peter, the, the great pastor who was commissioned and sent by the Lord Jesus himself, how does he address his reader? Well, look at the second half of verse 1. He says, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. So let's, let's say you're a brand new believer. You, you became a Christian yesterday afternoon. You were reborn, given new life in Christ just yesterday. And to use Peter's language from verse 2, you know God. And in the Bible, knowledge of God is, yes, it's head knowledge, but it's also relational knowledge. You know Jesus. A Christian is someone who knows Jesus as God and Saviour. That's you. Well, then, your faith, says Peter the Apostle, an eyewitness of Jesus' life and teaching, his death and resurrection and ascension, your faith is as precious as ours. And where he says ours, he's referring to himself and the other apostles. It's remarkable, isn't it? A brand new believer, faith as precious as Peter's. And Peter's the bloke that everyone assumes gets to heaven, isn't he? Like even in the jokes, he's the one standing at the, the pearly gates. What have you got? This would be point one, by the way, if you're into that sort of thing. Point one of this talk. What have you got? A precious faith. You have a precious faith. A, precious, a faith as precious as Peter the Apostle's. And if we think back to the original context, the original reader, I imagine this must have been such a great comfort as the early church approached that time where the apostles would no longer be around. The apostles' absence would not mean believers being doomed to a substandard experience of the Christian life. No, your faith is as precious as ours, says Peter. And this also means there's no second-class Christian, doesn't it? Your faith, no matter how feeble or how young or feeble, it's as precious as Peter's. It sounds a bit egalitarian. It sounds Aussie, doesn't it? Uh, Peter's not off in some ivory tower. Uh, there's no exclusive club within a club. It's it's Peter, the real person, who struggled just like us. We're on a level with him. Notice in the second half of verse 1 as, as well, it's a received faith, which means it was given, uh, gifted to us. Not something we've earned or, or conjured up, but this faith comes through what? Through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Jesus explicitly refers to Jesus as God here. In verse 2, Peter says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In the, in the letter-writing customs of the day, that verse fits within the introduction but instead of wishing his reader good health, <laughs> Peter reminds his reader of what they have through knowledge of God, through knowing God relationally. 
and Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace, you know, you taught what that means if you went to Sunday school. Grace is God's free and rich, loving favour. Peace, not necessarily tranquility. When I think of peace, I think of quiet and I'm just sitting in a chair, you know. Uh, it's not that. But it's peace with God which will lead us to being at peace too, no matter what the situation. What have you got? A seriously precious faith gifted to you. It looks like grace and peace in what? In abundance. It comes through the righteousness of Jesus, the God-man. It's through the relational knowledge of God. Uh, Our second point is power. Uh, Often when we think about salvation, you you know, all that we have in Jesus, knowing Jesus as Lord and Saviour, we think of the forgiveness of sins, which is appropriate and is right. Jesus died the death we deserve. Uh, He took on the Father's wrath in our place to save us from the, the penalty of sin, which is death. That's true, but, he, but he, he doesn't leave us to get on with nothing. Uh, P.T. Forsyth said this, God does not simply cancel the charge against us in court and, and bid us walk out of jail. No, he also meets us at the prison door and puts us in a new way of life. Do, do you see this in verse 3? We, we read, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God has given the believer everything we need to live a godly life through our knowledge of him. I can't work on my sin, this one or that one, you say. I'm too scared. I'm unable (laughs) I could never do that. You can. You can. But it's not look within like the talented athlete might. It's look at how God has equipped you. You need nothing more. There's there's no, no special new experience. There's no brand new teaching. But if you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you are thoroughly equipped to to grow up in him, to live for him. Can I say, if you're someone who isn't sure whether uh, Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, I would love to talk to you about that. Or or you you know, ask a trusted friend. Uh, We want to have confidence that on your funeral day, That Jesus is your Lord. What Peter is describing here is, is the work of God the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't leave his apostles alone when he ascended to heaven. He told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And he sent his spirit to equip them to live for him and proclaim him. The one who indwells every believer today as well. I like this from Angus Maclay. He says, back in Egypt, God's people in slavery, they were commanded to make bricks 
but given no straw. To make the bricks, they had to use their own resources. Such is not the case here. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Next week, from, uh, when we look at verses 5 to 11, Peter will say, well, get on with it. Get stuck in. But, but it's just good to sit here a moment, isn't it? Uh, as ordinary as you may be, we're not lacking a precious faith power to live God's way. And and finally, a third point, verse uh, uh, 4, the promises. Verse 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Not only have we been given the the resources we need for now to to live that godly life in the present, but we will also be given everything we need for the future. In 2 Peter, the promises relate to the future, particularly to the return of Jesus, the very thing those false teachers were denying. And so while the the original reader's experience uh, uh, was these promises... Jesus' return being laughed at, mocked, we we see that in chapter 3, even so the Lord will keep his promises. This will be seen in its fullness when God ushers in the new heaven and earth. It's then that God's people will finally escape the corruption of the world and those evil desires It's within the the new creation that believers will also participate in the divine nature. That is a mind-boggling statement, isn't it? Uh, Being brought up into the Godhead, our bodies being made like Jesus' glorious body. And while there's a future emphasis on this, the truths of verse 4 are also partly experienced in this life, which is... It's just remarkable. Uh, In his book uh, called True Devotion, Alan Chappell, he he writes about our motivation for Christian growth. Uh, If you're a Christian, your goal is to be more and more like Jesus. That's your life goal, by the way, if you didn't know. Uh, In his book, Chappell talks about the different motivators for Christian growth. Uh, he, He says there's the deficit form of motivation, That's where you might draw attention to what I lack, uh, to what I'm not. And then you urge me to become what I should be. What's true of my progress in godliness? I have a very long way to go. Uh, My response to God's grace is weak, inconsistent and very far from perfect. And while there may be a place for the deficit form of motivation occasionally, the Bible's approach seems more often the grace-based form of motivation. Do you see that that's what Peter's doing here? As he begins this letter, you have this precious faith. 
as valuable as those first eyewitnesses who, who walked and talked and, and were, were taught face-to-face with, with Jesus. You have divine power to live a godly life. The, the same power, God the Holy Spirit, who rose Jesus from death to life, is at work in you, Paul says in Ephesians. You have these wonderful promises to live by. Jesus will return. That's the day we're looking to. We will one day fully and finally be done with sin and the corruption of this world. And notice if we zoom back on this, you know, these four verses we're looking at, see the givenness of this. Verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Verse 4, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Do you feel equipped to live God's way? Can I encourage you this week just to sit with these four verses? They make me just want to get on with it. Uh, A surf life-saving nippers coach down the front here uh, a a while back on a Sunday morning said to one of our kids, uh, you know, it was like a, a special moment, took the child aside, looked him in the eye and said, I see that you're very talented. You work hard, you could be a champion. That comment was a bit of a power up. (laughs) His chest sort of puffed up a little. You should have seen him run in the next race. Our power up is so much more wonderful. It doesn't come from us. It's gift. It's God. And so in the context of our struggle with sin, a world, says, a world that says to follow Jesus, you're mad, and even some false teaching within the church, Jesus isn't going to return. In that context, we can get on with it. Hit our straps. And if you flick to the back of the letter, if your Bible's there, as Peter says right at the end of this letter, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That's the theme of this book. He's concerned about false teaching, yes, but his emphasis is grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So how about we pray in response? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, power up that you give us Uh, at the beginning of 2 Peter. Lord, we want to seek your forgiveness for trying to do things in our own strength, thinking, oh, I can't do that, I could never do that. Lord, help us see (laughs) how precious our faith in you is, no matter how young or feeble, no matter how shaky, We thank you that our faith is as precious as the Apostle Peter, as his. Lord, we thank you that you equip us with your power to live for you. That's amazing, God. That is staggering. And given that reality, Lord, we're sorry that we don't look a whole lot more like Jesus. 
Help us see, help us recognise how you've equipped us. And Lord, we thank you for this beautiful picture that, that we get brought up uh, into the Godhead, that we can be more and more like you, that we can escape the corruption of this, this world. And we thank you that one day you will, Jesus will return and that will be finalised. But we pray, Lord, that in a sense we would live out, we would live on these promises today. Help us, Lord, meditate more on these four verses this week and help us see that you have thoroughly equipped us to live for you. And so, Lord, we praise you, we, we worship you, and we ask that as Monday morning comes, you would help us enjoy living for you whatever we're doing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Might invite our